0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. For some reason, you, to you can, follow you. And, uh, and you can add, uh, changed after that. <laughs> Very shortly after he was uh, asked by Jesus to follow him, he, he actually prepared a meal for Jesus at his home and invited a bunch of his other tax collector buddies to take part. And, of course, you couldn't do anything back then with a large crowd without the scribes and Pharisees peering around the corner <laughs> seeing what was going on. And they are criticizing. Look at Jesus. eating with those sinners and those tax collectors... Which prompted Jesus to look at them squarely in the face and say, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. (laughs) Can you imagine the profound effect that would have had on Matthew? To hear Jesus say that about him? (coughs) But probably not nearly as profound as being a close observer to the life of Jesus for three years. And then to see Jesus die... And to see Jesus rise again. And Matthew wanted to tell, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, part of the story of Jesus. From his unique point of view, and it makes up one of the four main accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew knew something. He witnessed something. And he wanted to report it, and he wanted to report it especially to his fellow Jewish people. There are four themes that I chose and actually probably anybody would choose going through the book of Matthew. I'm sorry, the first chapter of Matthew. And those themes would be this, the genealogy, prophecies fulfilled, Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, and of course, Jesus himself. (coughs) So how does the book begin? I'd like you to imagine you're all at our house and it's Christmas and I gather you all around. All right, everybody. Come join me. I want to read a Christmas story. And here it is. Are you ready, everybody? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, who liked to jump, I hear. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jehoniah, I know I'm not saying that right, and his brothers, (laughs) At the departure to Babylon. And after the departure, the deportation to Babylon. And Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. And Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, and don't you just like to say Zerubbabel? The father of Abiad. And Abiad the father of Eliakim. And Eli- Eliakim the father of Azar. And Azar the father of Zadok. And we're getting to the really good part here, you guys. <laughs> And Zadok, the father of Achim. Uh, uh, I'm and Eliezer, the father of Mothan. And Mothan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. Now, I know my kids always love listening to me read through this. Can you read it again, Dad? <laughs> <coughs> but this is deeply, deeply important stuff. But why? What's the big deal about genealogies? This summer, uh, part of our family on our way to uh, see our, <coughs> our son Cameron, Mary uh, Dorian Yaden, now Dorian Springer, <coughs> we stopped in Salt Lake City, Utah, where we had some friends. Actually, friends we had made in in travels around here, a young Mormon couple, and they invited us to visit them. So we did, and we went (coughs) into uh, the Temple Square area in Salt Lake City, and um, we go into the genealogy building, and... um, uh, our friends say you want to go upstairs and look at the library, or you want to get on the ancestry.com thing, and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool. I don't care if the Mormons know about me. And so I, um, I went. <laughs> so I'm dressed in a t-shirt, and I don't, I don't know if I had slacks on or shorts. I felt extremely casual. But I didn't fill out a place down there. A lot of tourists and otherwise. So I get up, and the the elevator. <laughs> doors open, and, I, and I'm and i looking at probably 400 computers, and hardly a single one open, and a young Mormon gentleman comes up to greet me, hi, what's your name, where are you from? And every single computer has people dressed in ties and shirts and sports coats or jackets, and all the women are dressed in dresses, and <coughs> I'm like... Am I in the right place? And what's happening here? (coughs) Well, the genealogies for the Mormons are extremely important. And actually, they come there from all over the world for a very particular purpose. They look up the genealogy of ancestors. (coughs) They trace their family trees to find the names of ancestors who died without learning about the restored Mormon gospel. So that these relatives from past generations can be baptized by proxy in the temple. And that's what they were all doing. And that's why the genealogies were important to them. But that's not why it's important to us. I disagree with my Mormon friends and why they place such high importance. on those genealogies. So, what, so that's their main reason. But what about Matthew? Why would he care to begin with a genealogy which spans about 2,000 years, give or take, at the start of his book? <coughs> what was the importance of genealogy to the Jewish person? Well, it was very important for Jewish people to trace someone's ancestry to prove who was the rightful heir to property or inheritance And also a wide variety of priestly and royal offices. Genealogy showed where a person came from. Gave insight as to social status and reputation. Proving your lineage was very important to any Jewish person. As it has been and continues to be in many cultures throughout the world. (coughs) Here's the first verse of Matthew chapter 1. The book... Of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So right off, we discover that this is the genealogy of Jesus, not Abraham. Now, in a number of genealogies in the Old Testament, it will say something like this. These are the descendants of Adam or Noah or Shem. And then they begin the genealogy with that person. But here, Matthew says that this is about Jesus. And he starts with Abraham. What he's really saying is this. We start with Abraham, the man with whom God made his covenant. But this genealogy, it's really about Jesus. (coughs) We move on to Isaac and Jacob, and on and on. But this is really about Jesus all the way through. As we know, God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Each one inherited the promise given to the one before and was promised offspring through whom the world would be blessed. To Abraham he said this, (coughs) and these are the first three mentioned in the genealogy, To Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. To Isaac, he said, in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. To Jacob, he said, in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Very much could be said about these repeated promises and all their richness and about how passionately... Paul thousands of years later proclaims their significance through the, his letters but here is one helpful concise statement from Paul and this is what he says in Galatians 3:16 on how we are to interpret these promises now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring it does not say and to offsprings referring to many but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. God promised that he would give the land to Abraham and to his offspring. He gave the same prize promise to Isaac and Jacob, showing that the promise extended to their offspring. Jesus is the ultimate offspring and heir of the promises. So in making these promises to Abraham, God was making them to his son Jesus and knowing that they would be filled through his son, Jesus. And that brings me to my next point. The hand of God was always at work throughout the genealogy. Intentionally moving, prompting, blessing, disciplining, guiding, halting, acting, orchestrating the turning events in Israel's history, active in bringing all the promises promises he had made to Abraham and his descendants to fruition. God was completely involved in the story because it is his story. Think about some of the folks in the genealogy. Abraham. God tells Abram to move from Ur to... To Canaan. He commanded him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And then stopped him. When it was clear that Abraham would obey him. And the genealogy continued. Isaac. Isaac's servant. Prays that God will provide a wife for Isaac. In a very particular way. At a very particular time. And God provides. Rebekah. And the genealogy continues. Think about David. Seven sons of Jesse pass before the prophet Samuel, who has come to anoint the next king of Israel. One by one they come by, and God says to Samuel, Nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. And finally, David arises, uh, arrives from tending the sheep. And God says to Samuel, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And the genealogy continues. (coughs) A young Moabite woman named Ruth marries a Jewish man in her home country who then dies. Ruth's mother-in-law there's a famine in the land and she has no choice. I have to go back to Bethlehem where I was from. And Ruth chooses to go with her. (coughs) Looking at a life of servitude. Looking at a very bleak life of gleaning for their existence. And God works And provides this beautiful, wonderful husband for Ruth named Boaz. And the genealogy continues. And I could go on and on for many, many generations and through to the exile to Babylon and up until the book of Malachi, 400 years before the birth of Jesus. (coughs) Can you imagine Matthew in his waning days of life writing these things down? Reflecting, laughing, rejoicing, and thanking God for this story of covenant and redemption. And how Matthew, a former tax collector, a meticulous man, carefully chose the very first words of his book to make sure everyone knew who was the only really important person in all of this story. At the point of Jesus' birth, a number of prophecies from the Old Testament were fulfilled. And this is my second theme. Here are a few of those prophecies from Numbers. 24. A star will come from Jacob. Isaiah 11. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. God will raise up a righteous branch who will save Israel. Isaiah 7, the child God with us will be born of a virgin. Micah 5, a ruler will be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 9, a child, a miraculous divine ruler who will rule forever on David's throne will be a light in the dark region in and around Galilee. Psalm 72, this benediction to King Solomon ultimately finds fulfillment in Christ. Among other things, the successor of David is wished an eternal, universal kingdom. He has wished homage and gifts from the people of the East. Hosea 11, God calls his son out of Egypt. And anonymous, anonymous prophets referred to in the New Testament who said that he will be called, the Savior will be called, a Nazarene. <coughs> Noted Hebrew and Greek scholar and Bible translator Kyle Springer. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. That's my son. And I, yeah, Actually, that's true what I just said, but I, I'm kind of just bragging. He believes that the birth of Jesus immediately fulfills at least 10 Old Testament prophecies and suspects... There are more which are a little harder to know for sure. And, of course, there are so many, many other prophecies concerning his life, his death, his resurrection, and future events in the Old Testament as well. But let's focus on the particular prophecy fulfilled and mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. The focus on Emmanuel, verses 20 through 23, says this, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, of course, means God with us. And the angel makes it crystal clear that the birth of Jesus was the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7. Verse 14. But some people are confused by this because of what some of the other verses in this chapter say. Verses 21 and 24 say to call his name Jesus. Jesus means Yeshua, to deliver or rescue. Verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. <coughs> but verse 23, re- referencing the prophecy in Isaiah, says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. But which name should it be? Jesus or Emmanuel? Well, I don't think it's that difficult to really understand what's happening. Jesus is his name, just like my name is Mike. It was Jesus' name, just like you all have a name. Emmanuel was going to be added on. Jesus, Emmanuel. Jesus, the Wonderful Counselor. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Christ. So there's no discrepancy here at all. It makes perfect sense that he would have a name, Jesus, and also be given the name Emmanuel, which we all call him today. We call him both. (coughs) One final thought about the title, Emmanuel. Using this word for God in the Old Testament would have made sense to the people of Israel because God, from their point of view, was with them. He had shown himself to be with them. In many cases, in many instances. However, this word applied to Jesus, well, this was something entirely different. Profoundly different. The God of the universe emptying himself to come down, to give up so much, to sacrifice so much. To be with us. To be really with us. To walk with us and talk with us and be hungry and to, and to experience the things we experience here on earth. And that is unique. And that is awesome. And that is why we say about Jesus, he is Emmanuel. <coughs> the third thing. Joseph the father of Jesus. Now... Matthew never refers to him as this, but of course that's what he was The book of luke and I think probably we mostly focus on mary Which I don't have a problem with Her story is beautiful Her response to the spirit is beautiful Matthew however chooses to focus on joseph I am amazed at how honorable Joseph shows himself to be in this book. So, what was their relationship? <coughs> Many believe Joseph uh, was about 20 years old uh, and that Mary was around 14 years old at the point of their betrothal. Now, were they married? No. But betrothal was very much a, contact, a contractual agreement, very much like a marriage. Um, It was binding. It was usually accompanied by a payment from the groom. It usually lasted about a year before the formal wedding. Life's good at this point. They're betrothed. Things are going along fine. They're promised to be married to each other. (laughs) And then Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. Can you imagine... I don't know, and we don't know for sure how this was communicated to Joseph. I imagine a member of the family came to tell him. And I don't even know what they told of Mary's excuse for being pregnant. I bet he felt like he'd been kicked in the stomach. (coughs) He knew Mary. He knew she was a fine person. She was well-respected. And now she's pregnant? (coughs) When his mother Mary had been betrothed, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was before the mother of uh, Jesus. I'm just going to start over. There's referring to his as Jesus. When Jesus' mother had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. What would have been going through Joseph's head? Well, it says in the text, and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. (laughs) That's a great first thing to hear. ...about the response of Joseph. The thing is, many men can be defined as just. Many people can be defined as just. But Mary at this moment needed something more than just someone who was just. Because while a just person wants the right thing to happen, they can also be somewhat detached from feeling and compassion... In their attempt to be purely objective and adhere to the letter of the law, if you've ever seen the movie Les Mis, there's an Inspector Jovert, and he's all about being just, and he has a criminal to track down, Jean Valjean. <coughs> And even when it's clear to the entire world that this man has changed and repented and has done good things and all he did was steal a loaf of bread, Inspector Jovert can't let this go because the only just thing is to capture this man and put him back in prison and compassion and mercy and grace do not play any part in his world. And that could have been Joseph at this moment. And if it had been that Joseph was just about being just, the consequences for Mary could have been very severe, both socially and physically. You remember the woman caught in adultery brought before Jesus. And what's Jesus say? Whoever hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. What were they ready to do to that woman caught in adultery? And you have to think that's what everybody was going to think about Mary. Who's going to believe that the Spirit of God caused this pregnancy? The beautiful thing, though, is that Joseph is also caring and loving. And it says he wants to protect Mary. Can you imagine the feelings in him? He doesn't know. He doesn't know what's going on. And yet this man who God chose to be the earthly father of Jesus decides on a better way. He does resolve to divorce her quietly. He doesn't probably know any any other way, and that's the first thing he's thinking. But he wants no shame to come to her. The next verse, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly, but as he considered these things. I love the word considered. Sorry, I'm going to give another movie reference. One of my favorite movies is 12 Angry Men. And it's about a group of 12 men who are on a jury, and they're trying to judge this teenage boy who's been um, <coughs> tried for murder. And all 12 men hear the evidence and then go into this room, and they cast their first votes, and everyone's sure this is an open and shut case. This guy's guilty. He's guilty. And we need to punish him. And Henry Fonda, the main character in this, he just thinks, this just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. This kid, he, he didn't, he, he's not a murderer. It doesn't look like he should have been the guy to do this. But he's the only one. And everyone's like, come on, man. Just, he's clearly guilty, but he's like, no, can't we just investigate this? Can't we just look? Can't we just consider This is about the life of a man. And that's what Joseph has done here. He's considering. This isn't like Mary. This doesn't make sense to me. And I just want to think through this. I want to consider it. It's a beautiful thing. I wish I was more like that. Then from such grief, such struggle, comes pure joy and relief. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now the questions, at least concerning Mary, are answered. So it's no wonder that the text says, the next thing it says is, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Man, he would have done anything at that point. Can you imagine his relief and his joy? This is who Joseph is. Can you imagine the excitement also the next time he sees Mary? They both know something that nobody else really knows. And then they start to talk about Jesus. Ah, I would have loved to have heard those conversations. Joseph has really become a new hero of mine. I'm tempted to say I want all men to be like him, but instead I'll say I want, I want everyone to be like him. My last theme, <coughs> Jesus the Christ. The final theme of my message is surely the main theme, the beginning, middle, and end theme. Above all, Matthew wanted to make known the reality of Jesus and who he was, and it was paramount for him. That especially his Jewish readers would understand this. Verse 1 again. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. (coughs) Verse 17. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Verse 25. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus Christ. The Alpha. And the Omega. In and through every part of this chapter. This is by design. This was deeply significant to Matthew. That Jesus was the Christ. That Jesus was a descendant of Abraham and David. That Jesus fulfilled the prophecies that it was all about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecies in ways far beyond the immediate and partial fulfillments that Isaiah and others experienced. And the beautiful truth for us today is that this genealogy is not just from Abraham to Jesus. This genealogy is from Abraham to us. Through our Savior, Jesus, we have been grafted into the family. We are joint heirs with Christ. If Jesus is the Lord of our lives, then it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and us. This is what the Jewish pastor in my story at the beginning discovered when he turned that page from Malachi to Matthew. Everything came together for him in that moment, as it has for all Christ followers, because of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Whether people acknowledge it or not, it's always been About Jesus. The covenant, the genealogy, the prophecies, they are all brought to beautiful and perfect completion through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the Messiah the holy and righteous Savior of the world. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name, Jesus. Could you join me in prayer, please? (coughs) God, it's just such a, awesome and beautiful thing to see this story in your word and all the people that participated throughout the ages, all the people you chose to include. What a beautiful story of redemption and love and forgiveness. God, I just ask that each one of us would humbly come before you and acknowledge. Acknowledge you as our Savior, our Creator. Acknowledge our complete inadequacy to save ourselves. And acknowledge that it is through you that we have life. Thank you for this story and the other stories you chose to have written down in your word. God, I, I pray that none of us would ever take for granted even something as seemingly mundane as a genealogy, because within that are beautiful, eternally important truths and things, actions that you performed, obedience of your people. during this time of year it's so easy to we buy presents and that's not a bad thing we buy gifts and we want to bless each other we want to join together with each other and that's right and it's good to edify the body but this world needs to see your light what an awesome opportunity we go into the malls and we hear christmas songs proclaiming you as savior What an awesome opportunity, Jesus, to tell others about you, to lift your name up, to be a light. God, I just pray we would reflect your light and your love. You are the fulfillment of everything good and right. You didn't have to come and die for us, but you did. I just pray that we would share that story with everybody, that we would be bold and loving and compassionate. I just want to commit every single person here to you and to your service. Whatever you call them to do, God, I just pray that they would do it with their whole heart, soul, and mind. Because you love us. Because you are our Savior. Because you are Jesus Christ. In your precious and holy name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth that org